Welcome to Control the Controllables. I'm Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis Academy in Spain, and we've teamed up with Max Tennis Academy in Ireland. We've brought this podcast together to entertain, educate, and energize the tennis community through the different lenses of the sport that we love. From Grand Slam champions to those at grassroots level, from sports journalists to backroom staff, Our aim is truly to get under the bonnet of the tennis world at all levels. So sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 114 of Control the Controllables. It's taken us 114 episodes to get to our first singles Grand Slam champion. I was really happy and really proud of myself because um, when I was younger, it was... You know, it was my my dream, but never my goal because I I didn't actually think that it was possible for, for me to win a Grand Slam. So when it happened, I was really like relieved and, and also proud that I could do that. I was surprised myself, you know. <laughs> and for those of you that are thinking, I recognize that voice. Who is that? It is Iger Schwantek. The French Open champion in 2020, age 19 years old. And we have been very fortunate to have Eager training at the Soto Tennis Academy for the last few days. And I've had the opportunity to really get to know her quite well. She's an incredible young girl who happens to be world class at playing tennis. And she's going to entertain you for the next 30 minutes. There's some fantastic insights and just having the opportunity to talk to a Grand Slam champion. There really are a select few in our sport and just listen carefully, see what you can take from it. And I know I took a lot from the conversation. I also want to take this chance to thank 116 of you that have rated us on Apple Podcasts and also all of you that have have written such fantastic reviews about the podcast. We do really appreciate you taking the time and giving back to the pod. Those of you that haven't done that yet, we still love you as well. However, if you could take 30, 60 seconds out of your day and let's see over the next few weeks if we can get it up to 200 ratings on the pod. It makes a difference. It helps get it into the right hands and it would be much appreciated. But without any further ado, I'm going to pass you over to Iga. So Iga Sviantek, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? I'm very well. It's a bit strange seeing you across a computer when I know that you're just sitting down the road in an apartment here in Sota Grande. That's true, but um, I'm really happy for the that you invited me for the podcast and hopefully we're going to have a great conversation. Um, and yeah, we're going to see each other today on courts probably. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's great to have you. And I, I have to start by saying, how has your week been? You've been here now for four or five days in Soto Grande and how are you finding it? Um, it was really, really intense. Um, I mean, I love the city. Um, but actually only yesterday we had an opportunity to uh, actually, you know, go out and see something because I had day off and usually I have, uh, you know, two, two hours practices. So, um, I'm really tired between the practices and after, um, so yesterday was the, the first time to, um, you know, to kind of 
feel how it is to be out of the bubble and mm. not on on tournaments and actually rest a little bit and do some active recovery uh, but i love it here because i can actually focus on uh, on the work and I, i don't have uh like many factors coming in that i have in warsaw and i think it was a really good decision to come here that's great well, it's been great having you and i i have to ask you eager has anybody recognized you um well outside of the tennis academy no i don't think so but you know with covid it's really hard uh, with the masks and everything so in warsaw sometimes people do recognize me um actually last last time some women recognized me by my voice which was kind of weird but um yeah when i have a mask on and when i'm not wearing um i don't know sports outfit it's harder for people to re- recognize me so it it doesn't happen um it it don't happen really often actually as i was going to say it might be quite nice being in a place i would imagine in poland especially after roland garros that things just kind of skyrocketed in terms of your your profile in poland That's true but um you know I, I really like it and it's actually one of the things I, I worked for so uh, I was from the beginning I was aware that uh, when I'm gonna succeed something like that that is gonna happen and you know I was kind of like ready for that um I was more ready for that than for my own expectations after French open so uh, I'm not worried about it and I really like um, the popularity and actually people are really even when I lose there my fans are treating me really nicely uh, so I really appreciate it and I feel like they understand um, a lot about sports and that's the most important thing because um, you know I don't need any more pressure from from other people no no absolutely and look Iga on, on the podcast we always I think one of the things people love to hear and obviously you're still only 19 years old and you know already achieved so much in the game but Where did your tennis journey start? How old were you? Where was it at? And, you know, how quickly did it become your passion? Um, so I started earlier than most of the players probably because uh, my older sister played and she's three years older. So when I was like um, four, I was probably, you know, uh, at the tennis club and running around and just, you know, annoying her. <laughs> so um, after a few years, um, I started group lessons, then individual lessons. Uh, but the most important person, um, like, was not my sister, but my dad, because he was the one that showed us tennis. And he he was the one that was, you know, driving us to all the um tennis lessons so I really appreciate his his help um and then it kind of you know <laughs> developed step by step I started playing tournaments in Poland um then in Europe under 14 under 16 and then junior grand slams and suddenly it became really close you know being a pro tennis player And to pull you back a little bit, you mentioned your dad, who I know, I believe, was an an Olympic rower. So he was yeah. a very he was a very successful sportsman in his own right. Is was he the one that almost gave you the dedication and showed you the way to being a professional athlete? For sure, um, like most of the my features of character that are you know important in sports, he was the one that really showed us how to be professional and how to you know really act like someone who has 
who wants to be a professional. So when we were younger, it was really important for us to have uh, that kind of person. And even though he wasn't uh, our coach, he, you know, he was just raising us in that way. And that was really amazing because it wasn't hard for me later to, you know, combine school and education with sports. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's because of him, basically. So, so I really appreciate it right now. Yeah. Maybe when I was younger, it was it was hard yeah. um, because, you know, it took a lot of discipline and, you know, just focusing on, on our goals. But um, right now, I think it was the perfect way to um, to do that. But is there the danger that sometimes we see in, in tennis or in sport when there is a parent that is very dedicated and disciplined and has achieved so much themselves that they can almost push people away from the sport as well? Um, well, you know, it depends on the person, I guess, and on how they, you know, approach sports. We we always had some kind of plan plan B. Uh, so it wasn't like you have to play tennis um, because, you know, I, I was a, a rower and I want you to be a, a professional player. It wasn't like that. It was more like school is your priority right now. Um, I would love for you to play tennis someday, maybe professional. But um, you know, it isn't you know it isn't easy. And many people, um, when they're teenagers, they're you know they're stopping. As my sister actually, okay. uh, she had some injuries and she couldn't play later. Um, so you know, I think he was aware that there is like more probability that it's not gonna happen than um, that I'm gonna win a Grand Slam. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so it was his dream for sure. But um, it, we, I, I don't feel like we had pressure like huge pressure around us and what role does he now play within the team oh you know it's different because right now I'm traveling with my coaches and and psychologists and he's actually not traveling before uh before French Open it was mostly because of uh, you know finances and everything right now we have COVID so we have many restrictions um but he's gonna start traveling I think, um, after COVID, um, I hope so, because, you know, it's kind of weird right now coming back home from two months on tour and being in kind of a different world. So I would really appreciate him to, um, to be here and also to see how we work and everything. So right now it's changed a lot, but uh, when I was younger, he was the, the main reason we, we played tennis. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 as you've gone as you've gone through that journey, I think it could be quite easy for someone to look at you and go, "Well, she started playing tennis age four. She was pretty good already, age fourteen. She won junior Wimbledon age sixteen. She then won the French Open age nineteen. You know how can how can this be so easy when so many other people are having these challenges? But I'm sure you've had some challenges as well already." along that journey what what are some of those challenges that maybe other people haven't seen um you know it depends when I don't know actually what people know about me so it's hard for me to choose uh, the right challenges but I think you know when I had surgery when I was 16 it was pretty hard because I was on that level when I don't really know if I'm gonna you know come back and I've never had a break that was that was so long because I actually didn't play a tournament for uh, um, for seven months. So, you know, I had my doubts and I didn't know that if if I'm going to come back and, you know, play play properly. And 
also like being a 16 year old girl and knowing that well my body is really not has some hems has some issues right now it's gonna be harder probably when I'm, when I'm gonna be older you know it's it's hard so uh, that was a tough moment but you know I just tried to do everything step by step and I worked day by day to to get better and actually it wasn't that hard because I, I did a pretty good comeback I remember that my first tournament after injury was um wait what was that you won an ITF tournament I'm sure you did a pro circuit event maybe yes <laughs> yes but yeah. uh but I did a pretty good comeback and yeah. I think I I won some great matches so I realized then that nothing can stop me you know and that was something that I that turned out to be a pretty good experience to have. And um, yeah, so that was pretty hard. But, you know, you always have some doubts. I mean, there were many moments when I was thinking, is tennis really for me? Because, you know, I always knew that I'm playing good, but you have to have other skills to be a pro. Yeah. And at I what think... age, at what age, Iga, did you want to be a pro? At what age did you say, right, in my mind, this is the life for me. This is where I'm going. Um, I think on my first junior Grand Slam, so on French Open 2016, I realized that hey, this is a great way to, to live a life. And uh, yeah, when I saw the pro players around me, you know, practicing and they seemed like they're really having fun and being on a Grand Slam is, was really overwhelming for me. So I think that moment was really important. And as you mentioned Grand Slams, we have to move into Roland Garros. And you are, out of the 115 guests, we've had many doubles Grand Slam champions. We've had many junior Grand Slam champions. We've had many coaches that have coached Grand Slam champions. We've had many fitness coaches that have coached Grand Slam <laughs> champions. But we have never had a singles Grand Slam champion. So you're the, you're the first to come on the podcast and there's not many of them out there. You know, you really do. When you win a Grand Slam, you move into, into a place in history that, that not many people experience, but so many of us dream, you know, so many of us work and dream. So tell us, how did that feel when you won the French Open in 2020? Um, Like really... Unreal, I would say. And there were so many emotions. Uh, I, I actually, the main thing I was thinking about was uh, what's going to happen next. Because, you know, <laughs> it, the, the huge experience was really like hectic in my mind. And, you know, being on court and playing a match was, was kind of normal. Even though it was a Grand Slam final, I knew what I have to do and uh, what I should focus on. But after um it was it was weird and I realized that people are going to treat me differently right now and my life is going to change so I needed sometimes to some time to um you know adjust to that and get used to that and I think that still I'm not completely used to that because right now I'm not I'm on tour and I'm not playing as an underdog but as a grand slam champion so it's totally totally different but but I think like many player struggle at the, at the beginning of that process and uh, for sure it's going to be better and better with time um, yeah but right now the the main goal for me is to just you know focus on on work because there's so much stuff going on around that it's sometimes hard to actually you know just 
do what you've done from the beginning of your life so just absolutely. play tennis you know yeah absolutely um yeah but i i remember it as, as a i was really happy and really proud of myself because um when i was younger it was you know it was my my dream but but never my goal because i i didn't actually think that it was possible for for me to win a grand slam so when it happened i was really like relieved and and also proud that i could do that i was surprised myself you know <laughs> actually yeah. we're talking in our team uh, that you know everybody was surprised except daria because daria says that she always knew i'm gonna do something big so it's it's pretty weird and it's amazing and i want to get onto your team in, in, a, in a moment but i have a couple more things on that french open and i just think you know just if it's the french open or it's the it's the under 14 event in Marbella or it's the Polish national championships. It's all, it's all relative. And I think quite often the first time somebody finds themselves in the position of maybe winning an event that they've not won before, they can sometimes wake up, you know? So we hear of stories of people making the semifinals and just playing great and going with it. And then all of a sudden they wake up and realize what they might achieve and then maybe the nerves hit them really badly. And whereas I looked at the scores, I remember watching, but I looked at the scores before you came to the academy last week and you just killed everybody the whole way <laughs> through, like the whole way through the tournament. And, and it's so impressive that you were able to do that. Was there a moment where you thought I could win this or did you just stay in that process and keep doing that, doing your thing? We all... I would lie if I would say there weren't the moments like that because after winning against Simona, I knew that I'm playing a you know great game. Um, but I didn't know if it's possible for me to keep that till the end of the tournament. And also um, after quarterfinal, I had some tough moments because uh, there were so many emotions with, in me that I actually had to you know cry after the match that I won. Uh, but it was a good thing because I got rid of the the emotions and uh, I, I kind of work uh, through them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I had moments like that, but then I kept remembering uh, what was really important in my work. So just, you know, focusing on the details and uh, keeping my routines. And I, I did that for the rest of the tournament, um, but it's still something that it, it will be hard for me to re like repeat. And I think I would become more consistent player if I would find a pattern how to do that you know um, maybe not as, as as Rafa is doing because he just won so many uh, French Opens but um, I would love to you know repeat that someday and actually you know be more uh, aware of what's going on so uh, but that's not only my work my team is really helping with that and uh, yeah I think someday um, I hope I'm gonna have a two weeks like that again, but it's more and more often when I feel that I have really uh, a big control on court uh, of my emotions and physicality and tactics and um, another tournament when I felt like that was Adelaide. So yep. yeah, I, I think it's, it's possible, but still um, it's a new situation. So I have many things to work on. Mm. 
But you, you talk so maturely. I keep, we keep, I know you're <laughs> almost 20, but you talk so much and you've mentioned so much there about your emotions, about how you feel, about how you're able to talk through them. And you have then mentioned your team and I've had the pleasure to meet your team who are all so lovely. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable how, including yourself, how nice you've all been with everybody around the academy and everybody speaking so highly of you all, rightly so. You have to be one of the first tennis players to be traveling with a sports psychologist in Daria, who, who, who you seem very, very close to. Why was that decision made and what has been the impact of that decision to have somebody like Daria by your side? Um, you know, I wanted to work with a sports psychologist since I was, I don't know, 14 or something like that, because wow. I always felt that... Um, you know, at the beginning, it was pretty easy for me because I felt like, you know, I'm getting annoyed on court and that's the thing to work on. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I grew older, I realized that um, there are much more things I have to work on with my mentality and, and everything. And not only on court, but also off court in, in my private life. So I was looking for, um, you know, people to, to, to help me. I had some, you know, mental, mental trainings uh, before. But then I started working with Daria and I actually didn't know that it's possible for sports psychologists to travel around and be part of the team on the same level as my, you know, tennis coach or physical coach or physiotherapist. So that was that was her idea. And uh, I think it worked out pretty well because for me, um, going on, you know, on a session twice a month, I didn't think it would do a lot because I'm not that kind of person who's who's gonna you know be open when they meet someone after 10 minutes so that was a good decision that Daria has made and that's why she's a good psychologist and uh, yeah we started working and then she became you know part of the team at the beginning it was like hey do you want to go to Washington and Toronto with me we're gonna see how that's gonna work but she's been really involved and um and yeah, and she's like the biggest support for me on tour. So um, she's really important in our team. Yeah. And I have to move then to your coach, Piotra, who I think that's a great story. And we have to get him on the podcast as well to hear his coaching story. <laughs> you know, that, you know, he, he hasn't been someone that's been on the tour for many, many years. You know, and you're his first player that he's taken from the age of 14 then through to being a French Open champion. But I think it's also great to see that a player is also stayed dedicated and loyal to a coach that they've that they've had. When so often in tennis we see players jumping into these super coaches and you know all of those sort of things. So again, why why's that relationship worked so well? And, and tell the listeners a little bit about how that relationship started. Um, actually, it started uh, by an accident because I just didn't have a coach, and we were looking for someone um, to replace my previous coach who I have been working with for like, I don't know, four or five years. And, uh, you know, Piotr was just around and he was uh, the person that his task was to, you know, just play a few practices with me and just, you know, coach me for a month until we find someone, did <laughs> someone he, else. Did he used to beat but, you? Did he used to beat you? Um, I don't remember actually, but... I don't think so. When I think did, he's going to tell you a different story. But <laughs> When did you um, start to beat him? 
15, 16? You know, <laughs> I think he started coaching when he was like 18. So he wasn't really playing a lot. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to, you know, brag about that. <laughs> but I think I was winning with him uh, pretty early. Um, but yeah, it was also that kind of thing that, that was really good because he was mainly focusing on, you know, strategy and tactics and he was really um he's a really good at analyzing tennis and uh, you know observing players so um he has a good knowledge and he was developing with me basically when we were on tour and when we were playing so um it wasn't like a problem for me that he didn't have experience uh before on with being on tour because i feel like he's developing in his own way and um yeah, we've, we're kind of like learning together, but actually I could say that about everybody because no, no one in Poland have, have been in that situation. So, because no one actually won a grand slam. Um, so um, I always felt that it's more important to have a good, good mood in our team and good relationships with everybody than, you know, being, than having the best, the best code, but, but you never know who's going to be the best for you, right? Absolutely. It's not about, there is no ranking uh, no. In, in coaches. It's just, you know, relationship and how, how they approach stuff. So, yeah. You speak so well. That's such a, it's such a great answer for people to take. I am going to go into my last little thing because I know you need to get ready for practice. The rain has stopped and the, yeah. sun, the sun is coming out, unfortunately for you, because they're going to put you through your paces again. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, moving in to the clay court season, as I guess now somebody who has a target on the head as the defending champion in Paris, how, how do you feel going into the clay court season and what are your, what are your hopes for the next few weeks? Um, you know, I don't have like any, any goals and any hopes because I know how my last season looked like and I lost in Rome uh, on my first match on clay. So I'm giving myself you know more time but it's also hard for me because I'm really ambitious and I put um, a lot on myself so um, that's why you know Daria is here and we're working together to lower the expectations a little bit from from my side and uh, yeah I'm just trying to focus on you know playing tennis and I was always really excited when the clay season started this year it's pretty different because I feel like people are gonna you know watch me uh, everything watch everything I do um, but yeah I'm trying to remember how it was to just just play that's why I'm here basically um, because it's easier outside of Poland and uh, yeah we can focus on on working and we're gonna see how it's gonna go I'm gonna play for the first time in Madrid so it's always pretty hard and uh, yeah I'm just gonna take everything step by step it's not easy to be a defending champion for sure. I've never been in a situation like that. So um, I can't really predict how I'm going to react. I can, you know, be really stressed about that, but um, I hope it's, I'm going to approach it differently and I'm going to be like, you know, more motivated and I'm going to have that, you know, positive kick with me. Very good answer again. And, and in terms of if we fast forward 10 or 15 years, what will you see as success for your tennis career? Um, 
being consistent and actually um, finding that pattern that I was talking before on how to actually win a tournament and have, you know, control over, you know, my mentality and over, you know, just me being on court and being really aware of everything that's going around and how to implement some stuff uh, from, you know, practices to, to my match game and, you know, just, I, I think it's going to come with experience, but I don't want to have any goals like, hey, I want to win six Grand Slam or something like that. I, I always wanted to win each of the Grand Slams, but um, it was more like a dream than a goal. Right now, I see that um, after winning a Grand Slam, I'm still the same person. I still have the same values. So, you know, my goal would be to, yeah, be consistent and, you know, just be a, I don't know, a really smart tennis player and have have experience. Yeah. Are you ready for the famous control the controllables quick fire round? Oh my God. I don't know. We're going to see. There's <laughs> nothing scary in there. You go, don't worry. Kick serve or slice serve? Kick serve. That's easy. Clay courts or hard courts? Oh my God. Clay court. Favorite Grand Slam? <laughs> really? That's like <laughs> obvious answer. French Open. Okay. We go. Do you prefer to be in the gym or on the track? In the gym. Do you prefer sun or snow? Sun. I mean, who doesn't? Okay. <laughs> and well, I think that as well, but some people prefer snow and meet amazingly. Uh, who's your biggest rival? I don't have one rival. I mean, I don't know. Nobody. Piot? Me, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. Forehand or backhand? It depends on the day. <laughs> at the net or at the back? Um, at the back, but lately, sometimes at the net. So watch out. <laughs> yeah. Who's your favorite football team? I don't have any. I'm sorry. Move on. <laughs> Injury timeout or not, should players be allowed it on the court in a match? I should... mean, yeah, I mean, I think we should have it, but sometimes players use it as a part of the, you know, strategy, not, <laughs> not the real, <laughs> you know, six, um, six, issue. 60% yeah. of guests have said they shouldn't have it. Which is why, which is why I asked the question. But it's normally the journalists, or maybe the coaches, or maybe every player says yes, you should have it, but it needs to be used and monitored that it's used in the right way. But that's a difficult thing to to manage. That's true. Yeah. Should there be three sets or five sets at Grand Slams for women? Three. If there was one rule change that you could have in tennis, what would it be? Um, I wouldn't change any rules because I always, you know, thought of tennis as a game when where the rules aren't actually changing because of the, you know, history and the tradition. So, yeah, I wouldn't change any. On court coaching or not? You know. I'm still not used to this coaching from the from outside of the court because right now coaches can't yeah. come on 
uh, on the break. And I actually preferred the, the break uh, coaching, you know, when they actually could come and talk to us normally. But I'm okay with on-court coaching. Just, you know, the way of coaching is tricky. And who should our next guest be on the podcast? I mean, you were talking about the ultra, so probably him, right? <laughs> and also Daria. I think we've had a few people say you need to get Daria on the podcast as well. So maybe we'll speak to them both at some t- at some point. It's a, that's a good idea. I don't know. I I don't know what's what's their plan and schedule, but uh, they're really busy people right now after French Open <laughs> as well. So um, yeah, you have to ask them. Yeah, I'll I'll speak to them. They will do any invitation. But Iga, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, I I just want to say one quick thing on on the first day that you were at the academy last last Sunday. I watched the end of your practice, and at the end of the practice, you walked over, you picked up the sweeper, you swept the clay court, without anyone asking without any any feeling and everybody that you've seen all week including myself you've always had a smile you've always said hello and I think those values come through very strongly you know and I think that is why you have so many supporters as well as your amazing tennis and and we and now you have even more supporters because everyone at the academy is fully behind you throughout the clay court season and the rest of your career Thank you for coming on the podcast and the very best of luck the next few weeks. Thank you very much. Thank you for nice words. I really appreciate being here and thank you for the invitation. It's great. Hope you like the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. So there we have it. Our first singles Grand Slam champion. And as ever, I've got Vicky beside me. She's lovely, isn't she? Oh, she's so lovely. I mean, how cool is that? A Grand Slam champion. And she just seems very down to earth, doesn't she? Very young, 19. But uh, I've said before about Dasha Kazakina as well, quite a wise head on her shoulders for a teenager. Yeah, incredibly so. And, and actually, I think at this point, I have to say, we also got to know her quite well this week. And she was amazingly humble, you know, around the Tennis Academy you know, with all the youngsters, there was always a smile. And I, I always think everyone tends to say hello if you say hello to them, or they tend to grunt and, and give something. However, every time Iga walked in, she was the one making eye contact. You know, she was looking for the hello. She was looking to give the smile, you know, just as at the end of every session, at the end of every day, and then also at the end of the week, you know, she bought us a little gift. She 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 did things that she didn't have to do. And I think it says a lot about her as a person. Well, not just eager, the whole team as well. They were all lovely. And it was great for our players at the academy, I think, to to be around them, to see Eager working with the team and, and see how lovely they were. I mean, some of the older players got to hit with her. It was a brilliant experience for them. And at the end of the week, she um, came into our circle. We always have a Friday circle at the end of the week for our academy players, where we all come together from the eldest players to the youngest, all the staff, and we kind of reflect on the week. And it, she joined that, the whole team did, and she said a few words at the end, which was lovely. Um, about how they had actually inspired her. She said that, you know, 
tennis can often be quite complicated, quite serious and being around all the players and seeing them having fun and just enjoying themselves just reminded her that, you know, tennis is fun and it was inspiring for her to see that. So that was really nice for them to hear too. And for any eager fans out there, can I just say we do our circle. However, it was very much at social distance. (laughs) That is true. And talking about her team, it was um, fascinating as well. I know you talked about it um, in the episode too, that she travels with a sports psychologist as well, Daria. Yeah, so really interesting. And and I have to give Daria a big shout out because as well as Piot, her, her coach, and I know both of them have said they'd love to come on the podcast. So watch out for that over the next few weeks. But yeah, Daria... Almost as like a mother figure to Iga, you know, you can you can see it. Uh, she's there as a sports psychologist, but she is the female figure that I guess a 19-year-old needs when they're traveling, you know, traveling with three men, traveling with hitting partner, physio, fitness coach, tennis coach. And it's great to see that she's got that female figure. But Daria's working with her all the time on the mind. And and for Eager to take a sports psychologist on, she mentioned in the podcast at 13, 14, she was really showcasing interest in that. And then she's full-time had Daria travelling with her for the last two years. And I think Daria certainly deserves a lot of credit for that, but uh, for what she's done with Eager's mind to get her in the right headspace. And, you know, I tried to push her a little bit on that. I mean, if we take the French Open, anyone that followed the French Open, those score lines to win her first ever Grand Slam at 19. And I asked her, did you, did you wake up at any point? You know, and she must have some serious mental skills for, for that. Not that it wouldn't have touched her, but for her to be able to cope with that and just plough on through, taking the whole field down and lifting that trophy at 19. It was, it was amazing to hear. Well, she said, didn't she, how she realised afterwards that, you know, life for her um, would be different now. And that she would be going into other tournaments, not as the underdog, but as a Grand Slam champion. And she recognises that, you know, there is a shift with that. No, there was. There was a big self-reflection and big self-awareness piece, which any good sports psychologist will work on. And I think sometimes we're guilty of thinking sports psychologists are there for loonies. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's not what they're there for. You know, we all need to be self-aware. We all need to self-reflect. And she certainly seemed to be able to work through the emotions that she's feeling. I just can't help thinking, and I, and I wanted to ask her, but the, the nature of the conversation didn't go there, is would it have been different if there was a fully packed centre court at the French Open for that final? You know, would that have added a little bit extra? And I think these are some of the things that COVID-19 and this pandemic has brought upon us. Oh, who cares? She's got the trophy. <laughs> If I'm holding that trophy in my hand, Grand Slam champion, I don't think I would mind if there was one person watching or 10,000. I mean, I guess we'll never know really if it would have had an impact. But yeah, that no one can ever take that away from her now. No, they can't and, and they won't. And I strongly believe she'll go on and will win multiple Grand Slams. And I really hope she will because now... She certainly has the whole of Soto Tennis Academy behind her. I hope the control the controllables community can also get behind her because we love fantastic tennis players and she's certainly an amazing tennis player. But the one thing I wanna wanna leave this show talking about is one comment. 
that Iga said, after winning a Grand Slam, I'm still the same person with the same values. These results, they don't define us. Who we are as a person defines us, and that is what continues to come through loud and clear throughout these podcasts, speaking to these amazing people, and we'll continue to bring lots of great people to you. But until next time, I'm Dan Keenan, and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>